Hello, I'm Christine Malika, PhD, and this is Interview with a Therapist. I'm a licensed psychologist, and each episode, I will be asking 10 questions to a professional in the field of mental health. Please note, in order to protect current or former clients' privacy in accordance with HIPAA and confidentiality laws, all identifying information has been changed. Welcome. Today, we will be speaking with Dr. John Hong, MD. He is a trauma surgeon at Lehigh Valley Cedar Crest Hospital in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Full disclosure, he is also my husband. He will be answering the 10 questions today. That are the same standard questionnaire we'll be asking every participant in an interview with a therapist. Welcome, Dr. Hong. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm so excited to be taking part in your very first pilot podcast. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, is there anything you'd like to share with us about uh, where you work or any projects you're working on before we start? Um, no, I think uh, I think your introduction was, was very clear and uh, sufficient. Okay. Well, I'll just let our listeners know that um, as a trauma surgeon, you work, of course, with emergency uh, patients that could be gunshot wounds or knife stabbings or emergency surgeries such as gallbladders or appendices, as well as working with very sick patients in the ICU, just in case um, people aren't quite sure what trauma surgeon work entails. It could also be car accidents. Yes, that's right. It's uh, emergency general surgery, or what a lot of people call acute care surgery, as well as uh, trauma, as well as uh, taking care of very sick surgical patients in the surgical ICU. There's a a common misconception that I'm an emergency room physician, and uh, that is not the case. A lot of patients that I see come through the emergency room, but... uh, uh, it's, it's very different than being an emergency room physician. Okay, thank you. Uh, I think we'll just dive into our questions and hear what you have to say. Great. Which surgeon or figure in your field do you most admire? I would say the person who was my mentor during fellowship. Uh, his name is Dr. Steve Cohn. Um, is a very, very smart, very driven, very, very energetic surgeon. And uh, he's uh, a great person. And I would say throughout my career, there have been people that I look up to, but in terms of their clinical skill or in terms of who they are as people or friends, but he's, he's one person that I admire his clinical skill, who he is as a person, his ability to to teach his career trajectory, um, all those things. Um, so I would say Dr. Steve Cohn. Which case will you never forget?
yeah, there there are a number of of unforgettable cases, and the way that I would categorize them is by the stages of my career. So uh, when I was a medical student, um, there was uh, one patient and his brother that I took care of when I was an acting surgical intern, which is something that you do as a fourth-year medical student if you're interested in going into surgery. And he was a guy who was very sick. And at least back in the day, and probably up to now, um, the VA hospital system did not have a ton of resources. So the students and the residents really did a lot of personal hands-on care with the patient. So I got to know this patient who was quite ill and his brother very well. And he was not doing well. And I remember uh, at one point, uh, he and his brother uh, essentially accusing me of, of not taking the best care of him as possible. And I remember um, thinking that that was absolutely not true. And I just sort of blurted out, if he was my own brother, I wouldn't be taking any better care of him. And I could see just from that very natural reaction that I had that the three of us really um, uh, established a much better therapeutic relationship. And it, it reminded me that sometimes I, I really have to be less sort of artificial in my interactions with uh, patients and their families. And, and they can really, that sincerity um, really gets through to people. Interesting. As a resident, there were a number of really interesting and, uh, frankly, sometimes horrific cases that I saw. But the one that sticks out the most to me is when I was uh, a, res a junior resident, actually, on the transplant surgery service. And we, had, we were following the medical patient with sort of uh, chronic renal insufficiency on dialysis. And she also had a ton, ton, ton of medical problems and was very, very ill and just miserable. And uh, I remember we were rounding on her and um, at one point she just looked up at me utterly miserable and said, I just want to die. And that really struck me that sometimes all the, the medical care that we're giving to these horrible, horribly ill people um, is actually not in their best interest. And that's something that stuck with me as a resident. And then finally, um, as an attending, um, there also have seen a number of very interesting and horrific cases. Um, but in fact, the one that is the most unforgettable was the very, very first case I did, actually, as uh, a new attending surgeon out of training. So I'm finally practicing independently on my own. And not to go into gruesome detail, but uh, that patient actually ultimately ended up dying on the operating room table. And it was uh, horribly devastating and traumatic. Um, and at that point, frankly, I was a little cocky and thought I'd had some of the best training in the world and that I knew what I was doing. And it was uh, a tremendously important, unforgettable lesson 
that despite all the best training in the world and all your talent and skill and knowledge, that uh, terrible and humbling things are going to happen. And uh, the patient is the one who pays the price for those things. And that's a lesson that I've never forgotten. So that's a very, very long-winded answer to a simple question. Well, thank you. That's really um, touching, a lot of things you had to share. Um, Our next question is, what is the most frustrating thing about your job? Hmm. Well, there there are a number <laughs> there are a number of frustrations with the job. I think uh, for me personally, on a day to day level, it's um, having people waste my time. Whether that um, consultants consulting me for really sort of ridiculous things when I have many other more important things that I could and should be doing. Whether that uh, patients or family members sort of uh, uh, sort of taking my time to explain to them things that I've explained to them innumerable times before or trying to convince people to sort of do the right thing in their own best interest. And uh, again, it takes away from time that I could be spending with uh with more, not important patients, but more with patients who have more pressing, more urgent things that should be truly taking my time and, and uh, it prevents me from doing that. So uh, it's, it's very often that either consultants or patients or their families think that they're, as I can imagine, the most important uh, clinical priority for me. And what they don't realize is that, in fact, I'm taking care of many, many potentially very sick or dying people. And if I'm having to spend uh, my time doing uh, things that honestly other people could be doing or that they could be doing for themselves, that really is a disservice to all the other people that I could be spending my time with. Okay, thank you. Question number four. What do you consider your biggest professional success? Um, there, there are a number of uh, specific indi- individual cases where patients were really horribly ill, and um, I and the patient's family really knew that, uh, or thought they thought we knew that they were going to die. And for whatever reason, because we operated on them in a, in a timely fashion, the patient's own determination to survive, uh, pure luck. They somehow survived when everybody thought that they were going to die. And so when that sort of patient then, uh, walks in, to see me in the office as an outpatient and I get to see that they're healthy and, and uh, living their lives and um, able to enjoy many more years of really good quality of life. That's a tremendously satisfying and uh, uh, also sort of humbling thing 
to see. So that's happened, I'm fortunate to say, a number of times in my career. And that that is really what I would say is, is a real success. Mm, wonderful. Question number five. How does being a s- surgeon affect your home life? Uh, well, my particular specialty of trauma and critical care um, really creates, I think, uh, a tremendous represents at times a tremendous hardship for my family. I, I'm frequently away at nights or on weekends. Uh, when I'm up all night, I come home and I'm cranky and irritable and not pleasant to be around. So I think uh, you, Christine, my wife, and uh, the sons that I see most often, Sam and Ben, bear the brunt of that, unfortunately. I'm trying to improve that, but it creates hardships in my family life. My job does that. Um, uh, I wish uh, I were uh, a better person uh, that could um, uh, not bring so much of, of those issues uh, to my home and, and be a better person at home. Well, thank you for that. Uh, how do you deal with burnout and or vicarious traumatization? Um, for me, the worst traumatization are when I, when I have to take care of, uh, injured children, that's very difficult, very difficult. And I think I deal with that by, um, talking to you about it. And that's, uh, something that I've only recently within the past few years done more and more. And I think that's been really helpful in terms of allowing me to uh, process things. Um, that being said, I think the, the way in general that I and I think almost all trauma surgeons deal with uh, some of the stresses of our job is by compartmentalizing it so that uh, we really try to put it away and um, spare um, ourselves and our family from having to, to deal with that. Uh, that being said, I think burnout is a big problem, and that's why you don't tend to see a lot of old trauma surgeons. Uh, a lot of people say trauma tends to be a young man's game because you sort of need to be um, have a lot of energy and uh, a lot of uh, willingness to be up all night and uh, enjoy the sort of adrenaline rush of taking care of very sick patient. Sure. Thank you. What is something you remember learning from a patient? Um, there's another patient during residency that, uh, that I will uh, always remember. And, uh, it was a woman, actually, again, another uh, renal patient who was on dialysis that we had done a relatively minor procedure on, um, uh, repairing her graft so that she could continue to get dialysis. And she was uh, an older African-American woman. And I remember uh, it was actually either Christmas Eve or Christmas, and I was, we, I was working. Um, so wasn't terribly happy about being on call that night. 
And I remember going into round on her um, after her minor surgery. And she said uh, uh, something like, oh, uh, like, you know, thank you for being here. You know, um, uh, it's, it's something like it's, it's God's grace that uh, people like you are, are here doing this service for us. And it immediately, first of all, it immediately sort of changed my attitude towards her instead of sort of feeling uh, like I was sort of doing a perfunctory post-op check on a patient. It immediately, of course, was very gratifying to hear that from a patient. Um, but more, and the reason why it sticks with me is because it made me remember that um, the work that we do as healthcare professionals really, really um, is affecting people on a fundamental, basic level that whether they're appreciative or not, um, it's really important that we um, do our best to care for people in a sincere and caring way. And um, that's just something that uh, has stuck with me, uh, you know, 20 plus years later. That sounds like she really touched you. Um, yeah, just, yeah, just, I remember that, you know, the setting, it was sort of dark, you know, dark winter evening on Christmas Eve or Christmas and, and she was in the hospital, and of course, you know, no one's happy being in the hospital then, and I was in the hospital working, and, and just the, the circumstances were such that um, I think it, it allowed me to remember that memory. Okay. If you weren't a surgeon, what career do you think you would be? Oh, you know the answer to that. I'd be a writer. That uh, has always well, not always, but that's been my dream since I was uh, 13 or 14 years old. Yes. If you could make one change to the field of surgery, what would it be and why? Hmm. That's, that's a, a, an interesting question. Um, if I could make one change, honest, but you know what? My answer to that would be not specifically within the field of surgery itself, but everyone's perception of surgery and surgeons. I think I would say people really have, I think, in some ways, um, a misperception of what surgeons do. And I think if, if they could understand, um, if the people within other fields of medicine, but also, you know, non-medical people could understand what it is that surgeons do, I think that would really, um, help not, not the surgeons per se, but it would help patients and the public, um, uh, have a better understanding of, of what is necessary if or when they or their family members ever under, need to undergo surgery. Sure. So I guess to answer your question, I, I would change the, our, our, our public perception. Okay. Do you follow any religious or spiritual path? 
Um, well, as, as you know, I was raised as a Catholic, and my parents are very ardent, uh, fervent Catholics. Um, I myself have sort of uh, strayed a little bit away from that. Um, so right now, I would uh, much more identify with actually with being Buddhist. Um, just sort of coincidentally, not because I'm Korean, but uh, just because a lot of the the things that I've learned about uh, mindfulness and meditation and about Buddhist beliefs all really um, strike a chord with me, and and they just it just makes sense to me in a way that uh, Catholicism uh, actually never did. And I think it helps me both in my personal life and in my career. Okay, thank you. Believe it or not, that is our 10 questions. However, I always have one bonus question I save till the end. And this is for the people I interview who aren't therapists. And it's in what way does your field interface with mental health? Uh, As a trauma surgeon, I would say more often than not, the patients who come in following a trauma, especially so-called penetrating trauma like gunshot wounds or, or stab wounds and also motor vehicle crashes, very, very often have significant mental health issues um, that cause them to, or that are associated with some of the risky behavior that they're, undergage, that they're undertaking. Um, they're more often than not, patients are intoxicated with alcohol or other illegal drugs. Mm. It's exceedingly common that trauma patients have associated uh, mental health issues. It's also very, very common in the ICU when patients are delirious and disoriented that um, mental health takes uh, a huge role in the care that we're providing for their patients, uh, whether it's because of delirium or pain or their underlying uh, pre-existing mental health issues. So I, as a trauma surgeon, have to deal with mental health issues on uh, multiple times on a daily basis. Wow, that's very interesting. And that's something I certainly didn't know until I began speaking with you about your cases that we had more in common in terms of the populations we were treating that I had first thought. Uh, well, yeah, as, as we talk about all, uh, frequently at the dinner table, um, I take care of a bunch of <laughs> quote-unquote crazy patients all the time. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Interview with a Therapist. I just want to thank Dr. Hong for the candor and the openness with which you shared some of your thoughts with us today and I really appreciate you being here and I wish you luck in the future and uh, that you continue to find your job satisfying and thank you very much well thank you for having me this was really um, a lot of fun and it's an honor and a privilege being your first guest and also being married to you (laughs) thank you likewise Thank you for joining us on Interview with a Therapist. 
As always, I hope these episodes both help humanize the therapist and help destigmatize seeking mental health treatment. If you are interested in seeking therapy, APA.org backslash help center is one place to start. If you are a family member of someone seeking help, NAMI.org can be useful. That's NAMI.org. You can find us on Instagram at Interview Therapist. Please note that comments or messages on social media are not monitored regularly and is not to be used for any treatment concerns or emergencies. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, please call 911 in your local area or call 1-800-273-8255 nationally. This podcast does not constitute therapeutic advice or treatment.